would encourage the rest of you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to be coming at the text in a little different way over the next couple weeks. I always like to soak up what I can on a mission trip and then come home and say, Lord, what, what can you wring out of me to bless your people? What, what is it that I saw, learned, understood, discovered on this journey that would be good for us to grow in here? Well, how have you changed me and how can I share what you've done? And uh, so I've got a, a special piece of this story that I, I want to share with you today. And Ephesians chapter 2 seems to be the place that uh, most draws this out. There's our team. That is in, uh, in Tebby after a long a uh, couple of flights, although we were blessed to have a layover in Amsterdam, which allowed us to kind of divvy up the travel out, um, and uh, we were fre- refreshed and ready to go. We got on that bus, and you can ask the team members about that ride. That was memorable. Um, four hours in traffic. It was warm, bumpy. Yeah, we were all in there with all our bags, and so by God's grace, we made it there, but I I feel like I know these people so much better now. And we've, we've been together in the trenches. We've prayed together. We shared every morning at 7 a.m. in devotions, in the Word together, singing and praying. Uh, thank you again for sending us together. The topic I want to draw out, I, I titled Relational Riches. And I was struck by this. I want to just share the journey of how this unfolded. Uh, I want to begin, however, before we go to the text, begin by rewinding the tape a bit to a sermon I preached the first time I visited New Hope and came home. I, I preached a sermon with the question, what is poverty? What is poverty? And as I walked through Uganda and uh, met people and observed different things, my understanding of how to answer that question grew tremendously. I feel like that experience helped me understand these things. What is poverty? How do you gauge that? Well, the dictionary would define it this way. Poverty is the state of having little or no money, few or no material possessions. Is that a fair definition? Does that hit all the aspects of it? Now, some of you, I know your stories, you have come up through tremendous poverty. Some of you, I, I, I've, I've heard you share how little you had when you were young and what that was like. But m- many of us have not had that experience, at least in the U.S. Uh, relatively speaking, when it comes to material possessions, we are the richest nation on earth. We are blessed when it comes to um, having things. There's material poverty. When you go to Uganda, you're struck with this immediately. You see it everywhere. Um, It's not as bad as it was when I first went in 2010. I feel like there's been progress. Uh, The country is more stable for a longer period of time, and they're beginning to flourish. There's some infrastructure that's being built, even a nice highway that we were able to drive on and and move fairly quickly through the, the, the city. But everywhere you go, you see this. Little kids sitting in the dirt in a a tiny, small little house where all of these people live. They cook their meals from charcoal uh, in an open fire right there in in a a little kitchen area covered in soot. They battle disease 
They battle ailments that we just don't deal with here. They have very little. In fact, I'm always struck when I see kids running with a stick and an old bicycle rim. It's one of the favorite games of kids over there. there there's no Legos. There's no Thomas the Train, right? No Star Wars action figures. It's a bicycle rim and a stick, right? So it's good for kids to see this. And they're happy. Well, wait a second. How can that be? Is it possible to be happy and have very little? The answer would be absolutely yes. The joy that is found in Uganda is remarkable. And so, as someone from the West, someone from the U.S., going into that, my first instinct was, listen, these people, they need stuff. We, we have stuff. Let's just bring stuff. They need more stuff. They need toys. And then it'll be better. It's very easy to fall into the idea that, that we can be material saviors. We have lots of stuff. You have very little stuff. We can come and just bring dump trucks loaded with stuff and make your life better. It's not true. It's not true. What they need is not more stuff, necessarily. Joy isn't requiring items. There's something else that I learned in that first trip. Jesus even said it this way to his disciples. He said, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So potentially, if we came to Uganda as material saviors, we could actually make it more difficult for them to see their need for Christ because they have stuff now. What would they say of us? Are we the rich man? The rich woman? We have a lot of things. And sometimes our focus on things is exactly where the enemy wants us. Items. Money in the bank. 401k. Financial stability. A plan. Storage lockers. Oh, storage lockers. Filled and overflowing. We have more stuff than we can even keep in our homes, so we we build places to store our stuff, and then we forget what's in there, and we buy it again. <laughs> Wait, I got two of these now. I didn't use the first one. Mm. True wealth has little to do with material possessions. That was my conclusion after my first trip. True wealth has little to do with material possessions. True wealth. The kind of wealth that we've been created to know, that we long for, that we think we have when we stuff it into these, these hearts and souls, and yet it's never quite enough, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Hmm. In the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea said, hey, we are rich. We are rich. We have, we have accumulated for ourselves lots of things. And the word from the Lord to that church was, you say you are rich, but you are wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. What's he speaking of? There's something more than stuff that we are called to by our King. 
And so that was where I began my journey in Uganda. And then this trip gave me a different view, an interesting new twist on this. We went down as a team one night and we met with Keith and Laura Beth McFarland. I went to school with Keith. He's one of our connections that we had with New Hope originally that, that drew us there. Uh, he's an amazing man of God. What a family. God has used them. They've been there over 15 years serving. We were talking with him and, and talking about treasure and talking about uh, wealth. And he said, you know, what's interesting is when we go home to the States, my kids say, where is everybody? Why, why is it so hard to, to connect with people in the States? They have garage door openers. You can drive past your neighbor's house with your iTunes going, your windows up. You can pull to your house, push the button, drive in, push the button, close it, and you don't even have to say a word to your neighbors. And their kids are just like, well, this is so weird. We, we feel so alone when we're in the U.S., compared to the experience that they've had in Uganda. And then he said this. He said, you know, there's different kinds of poverty. Uganda has material poverty, but the U.S., we think the U.S. has relational poverty. And that phrase just clobbered me. I'd never heard anyone say that before, use that phrase, those words, relational poverty. What does that look like? Well, here's one thing that struck me. <laughs> you don't know when you're poor like this. It's hard to tell, right? It, you almost have to go out of the fishbowl and then look back and say, I, am I wet? Is that true of me? Is that something that is our reality here? Do we, are we poor and we don't even know it? I think the answer is yes. In many ways, we are. We have extreme poverty that we don't even realize, friends. We're so fixed on items, material, stuff. We don't realize how poor we are in some of these ways. I'll just give an example. Facebook friendship. Okay, I'm all about Facebook. That's great. You know, I see Facebook as a microphone for kingdom work. To whatever degree I can use Facebook to preach, to proclaim, to live, uh, to shine, all in. Let's go. But we've got to be real about what it is and what it's not, okay? Be being friends with someone on Facebook is not the same as being friends with someone, is it? You feel that? Am I, am I the only one? You got, you're tracking? You, I mean, how many friends do you have on Facebook that you actually know? We are ironically isolated. It is the weirdest thing. It's a new phenomenon. We're tr trying to make sense of it. How do we understand this, this new experience that we have where we feel like we're connected, but we're, we're actually not? We've never been more connected and yet never more alone. Suicide rates are going up. School shootings are going crazy. I think in one aspect, it's because of isolation relationally. It leads me to this conclusion. Knowing about someone is not the same as knowing someone. Just begin with your relationship with God. Okay? Oh God, I know about you. 
I know about you. It's great. You're amazing. But do I know you? Do I know you? You know, Satan knows about God. He knows a lot about God. But he doesn't love God. He doesn't walk with God. He doesn't delight in God, depend upon God. You see the difference? You can know a lot about people and not really know them. I think that is a challenge for us. That is one of the ways to spot relational poverty. Do I know people? Do they know me? When they are falling apart, will they come here? What, what, what does it look like to, to cry together, to laugh together, to, to walk together through life? Facebook doesn't really do that very well. Hmm. The call is to be outward. As a team, we experience a very interesting phenomenon. I think it's common for most teams when they're in cross-cultural experience. <laughs> the first day is overwhelming. You've traveled, you're tired, and then all of a sudden we took this tour. This is, this is our team walking through a tour. This is the very first day that we arrived, okay? We're walking through New Hope and the Kasana area, and I just couldn't help but notice how inward we were. There were people that we were passing and they were looking and we, we would glance over but, but we didn't know what to do. And so it was, a, it was a look and then down. We were being who we are. Poor. Relationally poor. That's us. That's, that, that's what, what we were bringing. And we, especially because we stood out. We were the minority immediately. We were alone. We were in a foreign land, a different culture. We felt like we should just kind of pull in. And as a team, it was hard. It was difficult to say, listen, we have to move beyond this and become outward and smile and see and, and wave. Just amazing what happens when you walk through and give a wave. Ask Jay. Uh, he almost wrecked us multiple times because he was waving at people <laughs> as he was driving. I loved it. He was our driver uh, over there. Driver's license, not needed, apparently. <laughs> but they gave him a van and said, drive back and forth. So here we go. Wrong side of the road, the whole thing. And, and, but Jay fell in love with waving at people. And you should have seen what happened when the Mazungu, the white, the white man, filled with a van full of Mazungus, white people, driving through a village, waving, all of a sudden, the smiles. Oh, they are friendly. They saw me. They care. They're outward. Relationships matter. We experienced a tremendous growth beyond the poverty that was natural to us that very first day. We became outward, and it changed the dynamic. It was amazing. The very next day was church. The team got up. Uh, we had a kind of a pep talk, and I kept saying, guys, let's be outward. Let's initiate. Don't wait. Don't hold back. Go all in. Just talk to all the people you don't know. And they went over there, the team, and they just lit it up. It was awesome to see. And from that point forward, it was natural, and we moved together, and we were, we were part of this thing, growing. 
Casey asked a question. I thought it was great when we were over at the McFarland's place. He said, um, Keith, the amount of money it cost to send all of us over here was, was massive. 17 people, 17 plane tickets, you know, 17 hotel rooms, all of these things. Do the math. It's a huge financial undertaking. And he said, is it possible that we should have instead just taken all that money and written a check? Think of what we could have done with all that money here. I mean, that money would have gone a long ways. There's a church that needs to be built. They need about 20-something thousand dollars. We could have built the church like that, and then some. So you, you, see, you see what we're doing? We're wrestling as Westerners. We're trying to understand what is of value in short-term mission work. And Keith's response hit the nail on the head. He said, you know, it's interesting that, that as Westerners, we, we often will think in terms of, of dollars and buildings. And, you know, the question many times is, what did you do or what are you going to do on the mission trip? Are you going to build something? Are you going to, you know, teach? Or what it, what's your plan? And the call that he gave us was, it, move beyond what did you do or what are you planning to do into who did you impact or who impacted you. It moves us out into relationships. And from the very first team meeting, that was what our emphasis was. Listen, let's not worry so much about the things we're going to do when we're there. Let's focus on the people that we're planning to do those things with. That's the win. That's the goal. Who did you impact and who impacted you? Because if you're going to build a building, that's a one-way street, isn't it? I go, pound the hammer, build, and I come home. But if I go to relate with somebody, all of a sudden, I, I am being affected as well. I'm growing. I'm learning. My heart is changing in unique ways. So here's a few pictures of some of the people that we spent time with. Jaden had a chance to spend many days in a classroom. Sometimes when you visit a classroom for a short period of time, uh, the kids see you more as kind of a blip on the radar screen. But when you're like Jaden and Tammy, when you're back day after day after day, something happens. And, and those, those kids just warm up and you have this bond that occurs. A special exchange. Here are 32 pastors uh, from villages all over Uganda. There were men that traveled for this conference that we did uh, almost 300 miles down in Uganda from the north, way up in Kobwin and, and above. Three different languages spoken. So as I'm teaching about preaching Christ from the Old Testament, they're translating into Lugandan, and then there was a group of men there that spoke uh, Tesso, I think is what it was, Tesso. And so at points along the way, they had to say, wait, 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 we don't understand. And then there was a double translation back in. And uh, each one of these men represents a little church, a little flock, out in villages that you've never heard of, probably will never even visit. But you have a connection 
with each one of them. Why? Because we did more than write a check. We went. We went. The bond that formed the camaraderie, five days in a row, all day teaching, interacting, journeying together, asking questions, listening, learning from one another. Oh, it was amazing. So what, what's the monetary dollar amount of value that you can put there? How do, you, how do you measure that? That's what Keith was saying. And the answer is, it's a different kind of currency, right? It's the currency of community. It, it's, it's relational currency. That's the kind of impact that we have on trips like this in a very different place. These are brothers, brothers in Christ. This is Patricia. Patricia. Ask the benders about the night that we had devotions at David family. Uh, Patricia, she was sitting between Brian and Heather, and she's brand new to New Hope. She's been through a lot. She's very quiet. She reminds me of Rebecca years ago, and very shy, very pulled in, very quiet, but she is tracking, and she is watching, and she lights up. So Jay and I one of the final days we were there, Jay and I went and visited her classroom. And when she found out that Jay and I had come to visit her classroom because of her, and, and, and uh, Uncle Simon said, uh, these men are here to visit Patricia's classroom. <gasps> she sat up straight in the front row, and she was so proud, so excited that someone would come to visit her classroom and to watch them work. And then on playground time, she, she led us and showed us all her favorite toys. And she wanted to show us how good she was at the monkey bars. Who has done that in her life? Very few, if any. Not her parents. Wherever they are, if they're alive at all. That made her day. What value, dollar-wise, do you put on that? It's a different kind of currency, isn't it? We're, we're measuring relationship here. It's relational wealth. What happened in our hearts as we got to get to know Patricia and see her light up? Wow. Here's another group of, of kids. Man, it was so fun having the Bender boys and the Smith kids and then uh, Lexi and Emma as well. I mean, just having kids on the trip with you, it was an instant bond. And uh, Casey and Michael, these guys, they were just connecting with these kids like crazy. They loved it. And uh, so lots of stories to tell there. But look at the smiles, look at the excitement, and ask yourself the question, would a check accomplish that just money, items, is that going to have that same impact? What is the need there? And how is it met? People. It's people. It's the work of, of the kingdom in view. Now, the riches of God's grace, I say all this to set up the reality of our own story because it's easy for us to think, well, the orphans are over there, right? Right? 
those who have struggled with these, 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 this journey, they're over there. Fatherlessness is just over there, right? The reality is, friends, we all share together the orphan heart. We, we share together an adoption story. As a believer in Christ, you tell a very similar story that those kids over there tell. Let me show you the riches of God's grace. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is uh, called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ. Okay, those words, separated. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. That's who we were before Christ. We were isolated. We were alone. We were rebels by choice, choosing our darkness, choosing our alienation, desiring to be alone. And that's exactly where we were. We were fatherless. Sure, God was our father in the sense that he is our creator, but we did not honor him as father. We did not know him as the loving father. Hmm. What did he do? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us uh, both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So used to be Jews and Gentiles. Used to be the haves and the have-nots. And most of us here, we're in that Gentile group. But even the Jews who did not have faith in Christ, they, were, they had the same problem. Through Christ, he has brought us near. The payment of his blood has accomplished the redemption of the lost. To form one man, making peace, reconciling us both to God in one body in the cross, through the cross, and killing the hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far off, to peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we've got to see the context here. We're dealing with Jews and Gentiles, those who are blessed with the covenants and the promises and the law and all these things, and then all the rest of us over here, the Gentiles, excluded. But by faith in Christ, both Jew and Gentile brought together to be one people, united, one family, no matter what your past is. Hmm. God didn't just write a check. He sent his son. Now, let's be clear. I I'm not downing on the need to support missions monetarily. I, I don't, I don't want to state my case incorrectly. There are senders 
and there are goers. And there are way more senders needed than goers, right? You can't go unless you're sent and supported by those who write the checks. So yes, praise the Lord for the writing of the check, but let us never reduce the mission work that we've been called to as simply check writing. It's people. It's people. And we take our cue from the Father who could have said from way up high in the heavens, far from us, I save, I save, I save. And I'm going to do it this way and this way and this way, way up here. But instead, what did he do? He sent his only son. Emmanuel, God with us, to walk with us, to to tabernacle among us, to be tempted as we are, yet without sin, to teach, to touch, to love, to speak, to know, to cry, to laugh, and then to die. We have a lot to learn from the mission of the Father assigned to the Son. He sent His Son. And so when we do missions, it is of great value to us that we have boots on the ground, that we have people there, that relationships count. We don't want to be a flash in the pan. We want to be long-term. We want to know people. We want to love them, watch them grow. We want them to know us. We want to learn from them. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So think of the implications. So then, because of what the Lord has done through His Son, you are no longer strangers. Look look at these words. You're not aliens anymore. Foreigners. You're not strangers. You're not far off. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. We're family because of Christ. We're family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. So let's talk about building things, structures. In the work of the kingdom, the ultimate goal of whatever we do is the building of people. In the work of the gospel, one person at a time, and we together with them are built into a temple, a structure. That's what we do. That's, that's the work. It's people. It's people. To whatever one end, uh, to, to, to whatever the end of, of swinging a hammer or, or putting boards together or pouring concrete can serve that, we do that. But the goal is always people being built up. We together joined. We're family family. Hmm. Thinking about New Hope and their mission, bringing the fatherhood of God to the fatherless. Thinking about our own story, that we were once fatherless, we were once alienated, separated, children of wrath. Now, look at what he's done. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 7. He, the Father, chose us. Think of adoption. Think of how that begins. Begins with what? Choosing. This is election. He chose us. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That phrase alone 
should take our, our concept of, of, of logic and, and our small thoughts of God and make them big. He chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He, the Father, predestined us for adoption. Believer, you were chosen and assigned the destiny of adoption by God the Father through the Son. You've been adopted. You've been adopted. You don't deserve this. Neither do I. So when we go over to help these orphans, to help these who, who know what it's like to be fatherless, who have experienced all of these things, I, my story lives. I too have been adopted. I know what it's like to be loved by a father, even though I don't deserve it. Hmm. He did this according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that proves we didn't deserve it. It's all of grace. It's unmerited favor. With which he has blessed us in Christ, in the beloved. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so we go from Bellingham, Washington, and we fly halfway around the world, and we meet brothers and sisters who have been adopted. They've been chosen of God. They've been adopted. They have a father. Think of these realities, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ, its effect on the person is that I'm now a child of God. I, I am a child of God. I'm in his home. I, 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 I no longer am fatherless. I have been adopted. I have a family. I have a family. You ever feel alone? You ever feel like you've just taken on the world all by yourself? As a believer, be reminded today, you're not alone. You have family. All over the world, you have family. And right here in this place, brothers and sisters. I have a name. I have a purpose. I have an inheritance. Think of all that goes into adoption. My name is Christian. I carry the name of Christ. And amazingly, in, in the book of Revelation, we find that there's a special name, a secret name that God has given each one of us that will be revealed someday. He's given us each a name from the Father of a purpose, an inheritance. We're, we're joint heirs with Jesus. And then we have an opportunity to, to share and show his love. So we go. I'm going to tell you a little about Rebecca. Some of you who've been here for a while have heard some of her story. This is our sponsor daughter who's growing up. It's amazing. When Rebecca was young, her father was murdered. Shortly after that, her mother disowned her and passed her to what she thought was a grandma, turned out to be a great aunt. Just hand it off. I don't want you. Just push him out. Her great aunt was unbelievably sick and frail, old. And so Rebecca grew up in a very poor situation. She was unbelievably materially poor. 
and her grandma was able to move very well, and so she relied upon Rebecca from a young age to do a lot of the work of living and staying alive and eating and surviving. They lived in Chuoco, in the back of a storefront. That the front was like a little store, was not very effective. In the back was their tiny little place that they lived. It was loud, it was chaotic, it was filthy. We visited, we saw it. As a young girl, she began attending school at New Hope, where she began to hear about the Father's love. She had a father in heaven because of Jesus and his work, a father that loved her. She began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. She was loved by staff, prayed for and cared for, and she began to grow. We became her sponsor in 2010 and uh, began to write back and forth. Now, her past was quite dark, and if, if you could meet Rebecca back then, she's not the same. She was inward. She was quiet. She was very reserved, very shy. She, she was very pulled in. The, the hurt in her heart was written all over her. As she started to write, we learned more about the challenges that she lived in and her story. And we prayed. In 2013, we took a team to New Hope, and we had the chance to meet her. She came running across a field and gave us a hug. She, she knew us by our picture and came right up to us and gave us a hug, and then that's where we really began to know her. So yes, writing letters was amazing, but going to be there, to sit with her and listen and talk and pray, go to church with her, she holds your hand. Man, we brought her a bunch of things. <laughs> That's what we tend to do. We asked what she needed. Uh, she needed a Bible. So we got her the best one we could find, and she used that Bible until we came back in 2018. Same one, treasuring each page. Uh, everything we brought, she still had six years later. Um, she, she held on to those things, but I'll tell you, it's not because they were things. It's because they were connected to us. That's what, that's what mattered to her. We bonded a lot, and then as we tried to leave and go home, it was unbelievably difficult. She was in a terrible situation, and we saw it. We, we, we saw it, how bad it was. And I had everything in me just crying out, take her with you. Don't leave her here. She needs a father to protect her. You can't leave. And then I realized she has a father. She has a father protecting her. And so as hard as it was for our hearts to say, we got to go, we pointed her again and again up to her father that loves her, knows her far better than we do, and can do far more to watch out for her and provide for her and protect her. In 2015, Rebecca went through some very terrible circumstances that landed her in the hospital for two weeks. Um, she was extremely unsafe as a young girl in that area, and her great aunt could basically do nothing to help her. 
She was pretty much living on her own. Her aunt was so sick. Yeah, the hospital at New Hope, or, or outside of New Hope, is one of those kind of like biblical time hospitals where if you're in the hospital, your family has to take care of you or you don't eat, right? There, there's no food staff at the hospital. You're, your family has to come give you food. Uh, they have to bring sheets. Otherwise, you sleep on sheets that are covered in filth and blood. And Rebecca's aunt couldn't make the journey up the hill to help her, and so she was on her own. And she had no one. They contacted her mom over and over. Come, come, your daughter's in the hospital. She's like, no, I don't want to come. I don't want to come. Rebecca knew this and was devastated. So the very first time she met her mom was after a couple weeks of being in the hospital. Her mom finally came in the middle of the night, helped her for a day or two, and then left. And that's what she knows of a mom. One time she went to visit her mom after she got out of the hospital, and her mom turned her into a servant to do all the housework and cooking, and that was it. She was a slave, basically. So she came home to New Hope and said, I don't want to go back to that. That's, that's not my mom. Hmm. After the hospital stay, New Hope realized how desperate her situation was, and they brought her to live full-time at New Hope, which we so thank the Lord for. The difference between being on your own out in the village and being in at New Hope is massive. It's massive. So we were just praising the Lord for that answer to prayer. She was brought into David's family. She has a father now and a mother there. She has brothers and sisters. She has a safe place to be, a place to learn, a place to sing, a place to flourish in the gospel. Her grandma passed away shortly thereafter at the funeral. The family came and took all of those possessions, left Rebecca with nothing from that. There was, there was no inheritance, not, nothing that was given to Rebecca. Rebecca, materially speaking, is unbelievably poor, but she is relationally very rich. She'd been blessed through Jesus Christ to have a father. At New Hope, She's been embraced. She's heard the gospel over and over. In fact, the letter that she just sent was evidence of that. She is a theologian in the making. I love it. I love it. She knows what it is like to be loved by the Father. She has close friends and mentors. She has godly teachers who have continued to teach her the scriptures. She has a wonderful church family at Kasana Community Church. They pray for her. And Somehow in all of these things, God sovereignly ordained that she would have the Pickens family in her life. And we don't feel how significant that is when we're far away here, but it's huge for her. In 2018, we were able to come back, visit as a family. Our kids got to meet her for the first time after eight years of writing and, and journeying together. They hit it off. It was amazing. And we had seen in that period of time this quiet, unsure, very hurting and wounded young girl blossom. Her confidence was there. She's a leader. She's outgoing. Ask the team. Good grief. Rebecca is just a magnet now of joy. She's 
gifted in basketball and helps her siblings, especially Patricia, who's brand new, has been helping her. Just read a few words here of what she wrote in a letter that came uh, just after we had left, so I hadn't gotten this until we got home. She says, uh, Dear Uncle Jeremy and Aunt Jenny, I want to share out of my heart how the Lord has done great wonders for me. He has shown me that he is a father to me at all times. That he planned for me from before creation and that he is the center of my life. When I think about you, Uncle Jeremy and Aunt Jenny, I'm so thankful. I'm reminded that I am favored, that I am loved, that I belong somewhere, and that I'm not a mistake. My heart is so delighted in Christ for having you around me. What a huge, unimaginable blessing this is, and it's all to God's glory. There's my theologian. Yeah. I can't wait to spend some time physically with you. You see the value? We could just send the check. But, but going, that's what she locks on to. That's what she loves. Be with us. Hmm. My heart is always blessed whenever you remind me that you are with me on this earthly journey and it plays a big role in my life. It gives me courage to push on in life. You've been like parents to me, like a dad and a mom. Thank you for your soft hearts and for taking time to know me and love me. She says nothing about the stuff we've given her. What does she value? How is she rich? Relationship. Love. Sometimes I am disturbed, she writes, by the challenges of my life, but most of the time I'm doing well. I'm studying a lot for school and spending time in the Lord's Word as well. If you come to Uganda, what a time it will be. Now, she knew I was coming, but they tell him not to write a lot about that, just in case, you know, I got stuck in the airport and couldn't come. But she was, she was excited about us coming. Um, it will be more than just happiness. I can't explain, but I will express it in the short time I have together with you. I'm so blessed that you're coming. Much love, your daughter, Rebecca Pickens. A lot can be done through a visit, through a letter. She has been blessed by God. We have been blessed by God. That's what I'm talking about. Riches. That's relationship. And what I love about having teams come and, and be part of this is that all of our team got to know Rebecca as well. One night, I was talking, I just always have these moments where I'm saying, oh, I just, how can I point her to the Father? And I always just want to take opportunities to direct her gaze up again and again because I can't be there all the time. And so I was doing that, and, and I asked, how are you doing with your past, with your story? She says, you know, I, I used to not be able to talk about it. It was too bad, too hard. She said, but now I, I feel like I can. And I said, Rebecca, that's great. That means God is healing you and assuring you of who you are. 
And then I asked this question. I said, you know, you don't have to do this. But if you want to, the whole team would love to hear your story. Would you be willing to share that? Is that, is that too hard? And she thought about it. She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And so we sat on the porch. And she walked us through this, this story, this journey of hers. She cried. And it all landed at the gospel. Which is why we're partners with New Hope. Because you can love orphans, you can give water to people who need water, but if you don't give them the Father and a Savior, they're going to hell. A new hope brings gospel, and we echoed the gospel, and we delighted together, and at the end we just prayed, thank you, Father, for what you've done in this girl, for what you're going to do in her. It's his work to his glory, as she said. So, relational riches. Friends, let's dream a dream that moves far beyond material possessions. Let's dream about what it looks like to be rich relationally. And here's the thing. You don't have to go to Uganda to do this, okay? For all of us here, the, the team experienced this among our own, our own team. And we come home to experience this here. We can pursue the riches of relationship with one another, that we're called to it as kingdom people. And so let's put value where the value should be and be aware that we live in a culture that just doesn't esteem this as we should. We, we are fish in the tank. We're, we're inclined to be inward and we have to push out. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you love one another. The way we love one another, the way we put priority on our relationships as a family here, is one of the most powerful testimonies to the reality of the gospel. We've been brought into a family. Paul builds out these words Jesus spoke in Romans 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, not just inward. Okay, think of these, these commands as outward, shared, communal journeys. Contribute to the needs of the saints and sh- seek to show hospitality. Find ways to, to be hospitable. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Friends, this Wednesday, we gather. Our hearts heavy for those in the Smith family. But our hearts filled with joy because of the gospel. We're grieving, saying goodbye to Craig. And celebrating that it's not forever. Family. We're family. So our response this morning. How do we put this as a bit of a challenge to 
those of us who may be increasingly aware of a new form of poverty. I would say this, in Jesus Christ, we're family. There are inclinations, tendencies, there are cultural norms all around us and within us that are confronted by that. We have to think kingdom. We have to think priority. We have to think obedience to commands. We're family. That means that, that we're called to something bigger than what may be instinctual or natural in our culture. So here's a list. Just, just If you're looking to be convicted, here's what I'm feeling, okay? Let's share this together. Am I inward or outward? When you think about the family of God, you come in on Sunday morning. Is my focus on where I'm going to sit? I'm looking about getting in here and worshiping, and then I'm looking about getting out that door. Because you know what? Conversing can be awkward. There's so many new people. What if I don't remember their name? And my eyes are down, and I'm in. What do I miss? Who may I miss? Oh, this church is so warm, such a family, but we have room to grow in our being knit together, being outward, being connected. Who's hurting here today that I can encourage? You come in the door like that. Who's alone that needs someone to say, hey, come sit by me, come sit by me, don't sit by yourself. Who's here who's celebrating that I can celebrate with? Who's here that I haven't seen for a while that I may just say, hey, are you doing okay? We've missed you, right? Outward, outward, outward. Selfish or selfless. Careless or kind. The kindness of the Ugandan people is convicting. Just kind, so kind. Finding ways to, to bless and just echo kindness. Am I closed off or hospitable? How do I think about my home? In the last year, how many of my family members have darkened the doors of my home? Now, I, I'm not saying you have to host a potluck, all church potluck in your living room, okay? Don't, I'm not saying, but practicing hospitality is a command of scripture and it's an opportunity to relate with people who are family. One note on this, we heard this years ago and it's been helpful for us. Don't feel like you have to be Martha Stewart in order to have people into your home. It's not about material stuff. It's about people. Don't worry about the food either. Order pizza. Who cares? Don't seek to impress people with the stuff and the food. Meet them where they're at with your heart. Connect with their love. Show that you care about them. Who cares what you eat or where you eat it? That's the heart of it. Am I waiting or initiating? I've talked to people even in this church who say, you know what, no one notices me. We've been here for so long and I just don't feel noticed. I'm not pulled in. I'm not invited into the life of the church. Where's the focus there? It's inward. Typically, my response is, look out. Get beyond yourself. 
Don't define yourself by your life or your situation. There's always ways to connect with people that can be encouraged. Hmm. Am I quick to take offense and walk away? Or quick to forgive and work it out? There is in this county a trend that I've seen over many years. I love this place. I love everybody. It's all good until someone steps on my toes and then that's it. New church. I'm out of here. We're family. We're family. Don't lower your reactions to the culture around you. Rise above. Live out gospel. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Show grace to one another. Put up with one another. Oh man, we're not the same, are we? But we're family. We got crazy uncles here, right? I mean, every family has a crazy uncle. That's okay. That's what makes the family fun and interesting. Hmm. Am I ready to laugh? Ready to cry? This is a challenge for us. Be relationally rich. Be relationally rich. And yes, there's ways to do that overseas as well. Maybe the Lord puts on your heart to sponsor one of these kids that needs someone in their life. Not your stuff, but your heart. Do that, if that is what God lays on your heart. But the primary opportunity is right here in this room with the church family. Let's pursue relational riches and put an end to relational poverty so far as it depends upon us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the way that you shine a light on our needs and I, I just love how you pointed this out, this, this concept, this idea, this reality of, of our existence in the West here of, of we have so many things but so often we find ourselves just increasingly isolated. We thank you that we're not just part of some country club or some knitting group, but we are the church. We thank you for the work that you've done to bring us together, to truly establish a bond of unity. We are one, though we are many. We thank you that you're building a temple one brick at a time, one person at a time, and that we together can share in that work, encourage one another, pray for one another, that we can cry together, laugh together, and share life together. We pray that you would help us to invest in the currency of community, that we would be more and more a people of God defined by the family that we're a part of. Help us to think in these ways, to move beyond ourselves. Lord, oh, we confess it's so easy to be self-focused in these days. Help us to move outward, to see needs, to be initiators, those who love. Lord, at the end of the day, we give praise to you for the impact that we can have on a life by just showing the love that you've loved us with. We thank you for the way that you love us through other people here even in this room, that, that even hugs and encouragement from them is, is your words and your encouragement to us. Make us more knit together through the blood of Christ that has brought us near. We give praise to you in Jesus' name.
Amen.